Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the beginnings of the era of the patriarchs, the second era in salvation history. And we'll be diving into the story of Abraham, or rather, as he is named at the beginning of the story, Abram. It's a beautiful story of faith and failure and of the enduring promises of God. So if you're not subscribed already, go ahead and subscribe to the Bible Readers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss any of our episodes on the eras of salvation history. I'm so glad you're joining us today on the Bible Readers Podcast. Follow along with us on this journey through Scripture. Remember as we discussed in the early world era, I said that it was a story of the fracturing of the family of God. And the patriarch's era is the story of how God is planning on reuniting the family of God. This section of Genesis transitions from a largely non-literal, very mythic story to a very focused history of a people, the people of the Jews. And those people find their origin in a man named Abraham, or Abram, as we are introduced to him. And we are introduced to Abram knowing very little about him, except that he is a distant descendant of Shem, the son of Noah. And the author jumps right into the story, writing this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So we have a command from God. Go from the land where you are to a land that I will show you. And we have a threefold promise given to Abram. Now, Abram resides in Ur, which is somewhere in modern-day Iraq, and goes to the land of Canaan in modern-day Jerusalem. And Abram goes. He believes God, and he follows him to where God is telling him to go. And God gives him this threefold promise. He will give him a great land. He will make his name great. And through Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I think that these three promises are some of the keys to unlocking the rest of the scriptures. I actually believe that if you don't understand the story of Abram, then understanding the rest of scripture is really difficult. Because so much of the rest of scripture is in some way referential to these three promises. So let's break them down. This first promise, the promise of a great nation, is a reference to the land. That's the initial basis of a nation, the land. So when God is promising a great nation, he's promising to give Abram land. The second promise is the promise of a great name. Now, at first glance, this may seem like a promise of fame and prominence given to Abraham. Instead of this, think back to the theme of the name that is introduced in the early chapters of Genesis. God gives Adam a name. He tells Adam to name the animals. 
Seth calls on the name of the Lord while Cain makes a name for himself. God is promising to name Abram, giving him the blessing that is given to Adam, the family name of God. This also denotes that a royal dynasty will descend from Abram. Think of the names of the kings and queens of the United Kingdom. The House of Windsor holds the throne in the UK now. That is their great name. God is promising that a lineage of kings will flow from Abram. Finally, there is the promise of universal blessing. Through Abram, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Think back to the problems introduced in Genesis 1 through 11. The family of God has been shattered and scattered. Through Abram, God will bring that family back together. I often tell my students that the story of Abraham acts kind of like a table of contents for most of the rest of the biblical story. How will the promise of land be fulfilled? Through Moses and the Exodus. How will the dynasty of kings be fulfilled? Through David, Solomon, and their lineage. And how will the universal blessing be achieved? Through Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, as St. Matthew describes in the opening verses of his gospel. The progression of this story follows the process by which God elevates the promises he has made to Abram to the status of a covenant. So let's pause here and describe what a covenant actually is. And to do this, I want to contrast a covenant with another binding promise people often make, a contract. A contract, I'm sure you're familiar with, is an exchange of goods or services for an agreed-upon price. A contract is a 50-50 agreement. When you go to the store, you're participating in a contract. I will pay X amount of money in exchange for X amount of goods. If I'm unwilling or unable to pay, I don't receive the goods. A contract is easily broken if one party fails. Now, a covenant is not an exchange of goods or services. It's a giving of oneself. A covenant is not a 50-50 agreement. It's more like a 100-100 agreement, where both parties dedicate themselves fully to the other. Furthermore, a covenant creates family bonds. Think, for instance, of the covenant of marriage. In holy matrimony, persons give themselves fully to the other in an indissoluble union. Covenants are made with two key things, ritual words and ritual actions. Again, think of marriage. There are particular ritual words that are spoken in sickness and in health, till death do us part. These are not merely romantic words that are said. They are ritual words. And there are ritual actions, the exchange of rings, a kiss, Again, this is not because it's romantic. It's because of the ritual nature of the acts that are performed and the symbolism that those rituals provide. And what's the result of these ritual words and ritual actions? A family is created. 
the promises that are made by a couple in love are elevated to a binding covenant. We make oaths to call on God as a witness to the promises we make, thereby creating an enduring promise that lasts even when the passion of first love fades. So, I said that God is going to elevate these promises made in Genesis 12 to the level of a covenant. But why? Humans swear oaths to ensure the fidelity of the promiser. But God is always true to his promises. Why would he need to bind himself with an oath? Well, I think the answer can be seen in the first episode of this covenant elevation in Genesis 12 to 15. After Abram follows the call of God to the land of Canaan, there is a severe famine and Abram flees to Egypt. There, he's afraid that the Pharaoh will see the beauty of his wife, Sarai. He will kill him and take her as his wife. So he doesn't tell tell. So he doesn't tell Pharaoh that Sarai is his wife, instead telling a half-truth that Sarai is his sister, which is partially true, since Sarai is actually Abram's half-sister. Types of marriages were more common in the ancient worlds, and later Levitical law prohibited them. Pharaoh does indeed see that Sarai is beautiful, and so he takes her as a wife. And a plague then befalls the house of Pharaoh, who confronts Abram and finds out that Sarai and Abram are actually married. So then Pharaoh sends Abram away and Abram leaves. This part of the story shows something about Abram's character. First, he certainly does not have complete faith in the promise of God. If Pharaoh kills Abram before he has a son, then the promise couldn't be fulfilled. But secondly, Abram's faithlessness causes him to allow for his wife to be taken away by the Pharaoh for whatever Pharaoh intends. This is certainly not the actions of a caring husband who wants to protect his wife. The author of Genesis is careful to show that while Abram showed trust in God's promises by following him to the land that God will show him, Abram is not a totally faithful man yet. Now, the narrative moves forward with all the escapades of Abram and his nephew Lot, who has been traveling with him. First, the two separate after a brief land dispute. Lot chooses to live near the descendants of Ham, while Abram chooses to live far away from the two wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abram rescues his nephew Lot, who has been captured by a collection of warring clans. And on his way home from this battle, Abram meets a mysterious character named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, a city that literally means peace and will later become the city of Jerusalem. He's also a priest of God, and he shares a ritual blessing meal of bread and wine with Abram. Abram also gives Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils of his victory. Now, there have been many theories introduced about who Melchizedek is. He's the king of Salem, meaning peace. His name literally means king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. He has a ritual meal, bread and wine, receives a tithe, and gives Abram a blessing. 
is this fascinating character with many Christological themes involved. Now, we're not going to get into all of the theories, uh, but he seems to be preparing Abram to fully receive the blessing and the promise of God. Abram has shown faithfulness and faithlessness up to this point. It's time for Abram to fully develop into a man of faith. So following this, Abram cries out to God. Abram has no son, no heir through whom these great promises of a nation, a name, and a universal blessing can be achieved. So he brings his complaint to God, and God responds in Genesis chapter 15. And God's response is so fascinating to me. God tells Abram to go outside and number the stars. Look toward heaven, God says, and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your descendants be. God commands Abram then to take animals and split them in half and lay out their bodies, creating an aisle between the two halves. And Abraham then has a vision. A smoking fire pot and a torch pass between the carcasses of the severed animals, and a voice speaks to Abraham. To your descendants, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. What is happening here? Well, these are ritual words and ritual actions. A covenant is being made. The ritual actions are fascinating. What Abram is doing by splitting the animals is actually a form of ancient promise making. Other people did this. They split animals uh, to represent consequences for violating the covenant. The one who passes through the aisle of severed remains is invoking a curse upon himself should they fail to uphold the covenant. Let me become like these animals should I fail to do what is required of me. But it is not Abram who passes through. It is the fire symbolizing God. So God is taking all the burden of upholding the covenant upon himself. Next, the ritual words. These ritual words relate only to the first promise the promise of a great nation, the promise of the land. I asked earlier why God would need to make a covenant if his promises were so sure. This progression of stories from Abram's time in Egypt till now signal to me that God isn't really making his promises more secure. They already were secure. He's God. He keeps his promises. Instead, He's stooping down to a man who has shown some faith, but not yet fully dedicated himself to God. And he's working in his life to build him up to be a man of faith. None of the characters that we read about in the Old Testament are perfect. In fact, many of them sin in grievous ways, just like Abraham did with his wife in Egypt. All these characters who God works through are flawed. 
But God uses them anyway and works in their lives to grow them in faithfulness and righteousness. One more interesting thing about this scene. Remember that God tells Abram to number the stars. Well, in verse 12, after God commands Abram to go outside, we find out something about this request. Verse 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. Did you catch it? God tells Abram to number the stars, and then later, the sun goes down. It is daytime when God commands Abram to go outside and count the stars. God is calling Abram to a radical faith. He is saying, just like you can't see the stars now, Abram, even though the sky is completely void of them, you trust that tonight the stars will appear. And I am calling you, Abraham, to believe in me just like that. I know you can't see how these promises will be fulfilled because you have no son, but I am calling you to trust that it will come even though you can't see how yet. I think that's a powerful call and a call that God places upon our lives as well. Can we trust him even when we can't see why or how? So, we've seen the first promise be elevated to the status of a, of a covenant. And in the next episode, we'll talk about the next two. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. A new episode is released every Monday. Next week, we will be reading Genesis 16 to 22. So if you're following along with us, be sure to read that before next Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. It greatly helps get our content out to others. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. We will see you next week. Thank you.